Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of my all-time favorite shows, off the top of my head, Jamie Stewart of the band Shushu is on the show today. And this is one of those ones where my jaw just dropped, hit the floor, and never left it. Jamie is, is awesome. More on that in a second, though. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at turnedoutapunk at gmail.com. Send an email there. We've got a domain coming soon and all that good stuff. But in, in the meantime, hit me up at turnedoutapunk at gmail.com. If you want to find me on various forms of social media, it's at left for Damien. If you use Facebook and you'd like to send a message to my brother and show producer, he runs a Facebook page over there at facebook.com slash turnoutapunk. And if you don't use Facebook and you want to see all the stuff that we post up there on the Facebook page, there is a turnoutapunk.tumblr.com for you. If you would like to support the show, the best way to do that is by heading over to iTunes and subscribing to this podcast. Writing a review and rating it would also be much obliged. Spin And when you're over there, you'll notice that there are some other shows in the Turn Out a Punk family. There is the Mighty Mighty Turned Out a Punk Footnotes, hosted by myself and Chris O'Toole. We're back right now with a jumbo two-part episode. It's a monster. We also have David Up and Dave Martin on the show as well. And we're catching up on just about everything that happened in the world of Turned Out a Punk this year, kind of uh, bringing you up to date on... What a wild year it was. I don't know how your year was in this last year. Probably pretty weird. General climate of right now is pretty weird. So, uh, you know, but the, the, on a much more micro level, the life around the show got a little chaotic too. So we go into all that stuff over there on Turn Out Punk Footnotes. If you enjoy cannabis and would like to hear a podcast talking about cannabis, Buddha Blaze and myself host Oil and Flowers, a semi-regular podcast where we go into the ins and outs of cannabis and as we hurdle in Canada towards legalization. Weed's going to be legal here coming this time uh, next year. So, uh, you know, get ready to smoke them if you got them. Uh, listen to that podcast. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you don't use uh, iTunes, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends. Let them all know that there's this podcast out there and they talk about nerdy, nerdy stuff involving punk. And uh, you should check it out. Speaking of supporting the show, thank you very much to the fine folks at Vance for supporting the show. They've come on board. I don't have to do anything. I can book whatever guests I want. 
They just uh, want me to keep doing this thing and not having to spend my own money doing it. So thank you very much to everyone at Vans for making this possible. Today on the show. Today on the show is Jamie Stewart. Now, Jamie Stewart is the uh, front person of Shushu. Jamie's also a huge, huge creative firebrand inspiration to many, many people, including myself and someone I've always wanted to have a chance to sit down and talk to. Luckily, I now have had that chance because, my gosh, is this a monster of an episode. This episode talks about everything from the Screamers, the Donnas, and and all manners in between. Uh, it is a fantastic episode. Uh, if you would like to find out more about Jamie Stewart, you can find out more about Shushu at Shushu for Life, and that is Shushu, uh, X-I-U, X-I-U for Life uh, at XIU, XIU for life, and, and that's on twitter.com. They also have a Bandcamp page. You can check out some music over there at shushu69.bandcamp.com. And uh, this one is one that I do not need to blather on anymore about. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Jamie Stewart on Turned Out a Punk. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me very much. Well, it's as I was just telling you off air, you're a big inspiration and, uh, you know, a huge kind of creative influence. And so to find out your punk rock journey is why I came up with a show like this. Thank you. Well, it, it is the feeling is, is quite, quite mutual. Awesome. It's, it's an honor to talk with you. Oh, well, that's very flattering. And I'm assured I will weasel my way into your journey somehow as I always find a way. And vice versa. Okay. <laughs> well, let's start off, though, the way I start them all off, which is, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Uh, it was it was kind of roundabout for me, and it, it took a little bit longer than uh, than I think other kids, you know, or other people who are, who are my age. Um, my dad was in the music business, and uh was was a musician as was my uncle and they were they were both pretty successful and and the 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 upside of that is that when i was younger my dad hit me to some uh particularly excellent records which you know to this to this day were a big thing for me you know so at you know 10 11 and 12 and 13 um you know i was listening to a lot of stuff my friends weren't listening to uh, the downside was is he was real particular about what we could play in the house, mm. um, and uh, I mean he was he was a he was an interesting guy, but could be a little bit overbearing about uh, aesthetics. Um, so I was always a little nervous to explore some things that other friend of mine's friends of mine were getting into. Um, so it, you know it wasn't until I was maybe I don't know seventeen or eighteen. Um, that I, you know, started listening to things that were more abrasive and, and more intense, but I had, you know, from, but because from a very early age, I had been listening quite intently to really high quality records. Um, I kind of, you know, got into, uh, you know, punk and noise and, you know, goth and things like that. I, you know, with, a with, a I guess a little bit of a, of, of an unusual uh, background. So it wasn't the first thing that I got into. I was listening to a bunch of Motown and classical music and kind of art rock, like Talking Heads and things like that. Um, and Stacks and, and Prince and, and uh, he would he would allow a small amount of new wave, but not much. 
um, you know, and, and some, uh, you know, like early blues and things like that. Um, and, you know, and then I got into, um, like, uh, Bauhaus and Crass and, you know, kind of any, any, any kind of black clothes wearing music, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I came to as, as an old, as an older teenager, you know, but having, you know, listened to Prince for like, you know, seven or eight years before that. Yeah. So it's like, you almost had the most amazing taste possible. It's like you skipped over the epifat years that most people would be forced <laughs> to kind of go through. I missed all that. I missed hair metal. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I kind of got into like classic and classic punk. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't listen to like warp tour kind of stuff. Or, or, you know, or like real big fish and shit like that. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, there's, I'm not going to say there's a lot you're missing that you need to go back and rediscover. <laughs> oh, I'm, I mean, I'm aware, aware of it now. We had a tour manager who, who uh, grew up in uh, the South Bay in, in California, which is where a lot of, to, to my mind, a lot of truly <laughs> super boring and reprehensible music came from. <laughs> he is thoroughly aware of my distaste for it and takes a, uh, makes every opportunity to make sure that he, you know, plays me a, a, a bunch of, of bad religion and shit like that. <laughs> well, that, I guess in like, you know, Southern California, that music is almost like what cock rock would have been a generation earlier. Like that's what the jocks would have been. Oh yeah. Yeah. To. And it's, it's the same, 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 same kind of, same kind of vibe. Um, you know, but Southern California also, I mean, 10 years before all that kind of shit, you know, it was, you know, bands like the X and the germs and things yeah. like that, which yeah. I didn't get into until even after I was, you know, after I was a teenager through a completely bizarre turn of events. Uh, I ended up the, one of the first bands I was ever in was with a bunch of those dudes. Um, uh, I played in a, in a band with a guy from the screamers and Gaza X who had produced dead Kennedys and the germs. And, uh, uh, this drummer David Kendrick, who was in Devo, and the singer Josie Cotton, and a really fantastic session guitar player named Kenny Lyon. Um, wait, wait, I, so I, I knew. Com- I'm sorry, what? What? I had heard kind of tell of this band, but Giza X was in the band too. Oh yeah, he was. His, it was his band. Yeah. Oh my God! What a fucking lineup! Yeah, How did I this had happen? No idea. I had no idea. I mean, I thought they were cool and they were yeah. super nice to me. I mean, I was really stupid and really young. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had no idea until much later how insanely fucking cool all these people were. Oh, my were. God. <laughs> like, I, I, I guess the first question is, did this band record and where can I hear it if so? Uh, it, it was kind of it – was, it was right before all the – major labels disappeared right at that exact moment. Um, so the the band was just, was just trying to get like a major label record deal because it, it was kind of before going the indie route was more normalized. Okay. Um, or, you know, or they were, they were older than me. So, I mean, for them, I mean, their their entire careers, I mean, even like, you know, except for the dead Kennedys, but, um, you know, like the germs and stuff were all on, you know, it ended up being major labels and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, so we made some demos and I think I left the band cause I was freaking out, um, for a bunch of boring personal reasons. And I think they had like a couple showcases or something, but like no, nothing ever happened with it. How but did it was you, really fun. I learned a lot. Yeah. Like how did, that was your first band you did? Uh, it was the first band that I played in that ever played 
shows. Actually, that's not true. I played in one band before that that played one show. But it was the first band I ever played in that played shows, plural. <laughs> <laughs> what was that one and done band? Uh, that was uh, this band called Brutus Ate a Taco. <laughs> Uh, I played fretless bass <laughs> real high. <laughs> it was sort of like, kind of like Edie Brickell, <laughs> the new Bohemians. <laughs> Maybe, sort of. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was pretty dumb. I don't, I don't really remember it at all. It sounds amazing. It sounds awesome. I think it would probably was not amazing. I think it was probably pretty stupid. Uh. <laughs> It sounds better than You're in Trouble, which was my first band. So I think oh, well. you're already. <laughs> you're in Trouble. Sound, that sounds reputable, at least. Yeah, You're in Trouble is influenced only by. The point of, of Brutus A. De Taco is uh, this. Uh, we, the one show we played was at this record store in Los Angeles called Bebop Records, which, when I was very young, is where I saw every show that I ever, I ever saw. They, had, they, would, they would have a show maybe five days a week and it was $5 to get in and I would just go see whoever happened to be there and by chance ended up seeing some really fucking cool bands. Uh, we played there, but then the, in the, in the various weekly papers that there were at the time, every single one of them got our name wrong. Uh, <laughs> it was a Brutus ate a burrito was one. And then Buddhist ate a taco was another one. And there was one other kind of funny mix up, but that's, that's really the only notable thing I remember about that band aside from the, super high fretless Ibanez bass that I played. <laughs> Who were uh, some of those bands that you got to see at that place, at that venue? Uh, I saw uh, Los Lobos uh, and uh, a really early incarnation of Jane's Addiction. Um, this Dose, the Mike White and uh, yeah. Kira Rossler band. And these are uh, all five bucks? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the place held like 30 people. I mean, it was a really small record store, but it was just sort of that time in LA. Yeah. Um, and a ton of really weird art rock bands. There's one that, uh, this one poet, I don't know what her, if she is even still alive named La Loca. I saw her read there a couple times. Uh, she had a book on, uh, skylight on the Lawrence Ferlinghetti publishing house. So she must've had something going on at, at one point. Um, you know, and then there's a, a ton of like local punk rock and like weirdo bands. Um, there was one, I'm sure this band no one has ever heard of called the Victor Banana that I went and saw a couple of times. What do they sound like? Uh, they were just like goofball band, like a tiki goofball band. <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of in the, there was like a period where kind of exotica was becoming a thing. And I think they predated that by a little bit. Yeah, when the research um, Exotica book was uh, out and like the Exotica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think just, just, yeah, kind of just, just a little before that. But you know, um, largely due to my dad, I had, you know, I was, I was just kind of into music generally and would just sort of see anything that seemed kind of far out. What was your first concert yeah, that you a, ever went to? Sorry, do you mean to cut you off? Sorry. Oh no, uh, <laughs> I feel like an asshole saying this. Um, but it was uh, David Bowie with Susie and the Banshees opening. <laughs> Why did you feel like an asshole? That's so awesome. That's so, like the best possible. Don't yeah, worry. That's not bragging. Solid, That's just telling the pretty truth. Pretty solid start. Yeah. yeah. So were you, I guess, were you Were you a fan of, were you like Susie and the Banshees? Was that something you were kind of allowed to have access to? Were you a fan of that? I didn't know what they were at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, I like David Bowie a lot, um, but I they kind of freaked me out. And then a couple <laughs> years later, and to this day, I got you know I'm still super into them. Um, they were way over my head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was, and that's such like an in the cut. And time they were to wearing, see they were. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a cool period. Um, they were wearing like all different lame outfits. They were really not goth, which is, I think, what kind of freaked me out. Is I kind of had a conception of what goth might be really mm-hmm. loosely, mm-hmm. but they were wearing like yellow, pink, like aqua and and lavender lame outfits. <laughs> so, I mean, which is pretty fucking goth, but I just didn't really realize it. <laughs> I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if that's just their interpretation of it. Well, obviously like their formative interpretation of it, or if that's like them reacting to what people were kind of expecting them to dress like already. Yeah, I would, I would, they were, I mean, you know, I mean, they were opening for David Bowie at Dodger stadium. Yeah. I have a feeling that they felt like they fucking go for it. Yeah, they're, they're all into that point. They're like, this is, yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, I think they had nothing to prove yeah, at that point. Very true. Very true. But that's like a great kind of period to see him on. Were you like, I guess you were a David Bowie fan from an early age. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I mean, I, it was sort of, I mean, it, this record was for the goal for Glass Spider, which is not a fantastic, it's not a terrible record, but it's not an amazing record. Mm-hmm. And then kind of, you know, I heard, I heard, I think I went to the library and got a really early biography of David Bowie because I thought he had a cool, I was really getting into hair at that point, <laughs> like haircuts, mm-hmm. wanting to have cool hair. And he had a, it was from the, like, then the cover photo was from like the thin white Duke period. And he had obviously super bitch and hair. And I thought, oh, I have to read about this guy. And then kind of from seeing that, my mom and my dad obviously knew who he was and then they they got me that that record and then i kind of you know from there got into you know the university created so what were some of the other early shows you went to uh i went to uh cal state northridge in the valley i went to a reggae show which was the second show that i ever went to with pato bonton and tipa Irie. whoa um i started wearing it i bought it uh, red, green, and gold Tam. I started wearing that around in the valley. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of, yeah. Uh, then I got, and then on uh, KPFK, which is a Pacifica station that's still around, on Sundays they had a reggae show. Um, and I started getting really to that uh, at about that same time and got really into reggae and dub. Um, and then, uh, let's see, where some other early ones? Even like your first two shows, uh, like you had such wildly different tastes for like a young person. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, and that, that I have to really attribute to my, my dad kind of, you know, having cool records around and, you know, I mean, and like I said, in some ways it was a drag cause he was kind of dictatorial about it, but in some ways mm-hmm. it was cool because, you know, I, in a million years, it never would have occurred to me to listen to that stuff and. Certainly none of my friends were listening to that stuff. And I guess it would um, be very different show-going experiences, those two first shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this was, you know, one was at like a, you know, probably not dissimilar to a place where either of us have played 10,000 times at a college in like, you yeah. know, the fucking cafeteria or something where the <laughs> reggae show was. 
uh, you know, to like one of the most giant shows you could possibly see. And I think it was, they were within a couple weeks of each other too. Wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Was and, there one uh, that you kind of felt more at home in at that point? Because like, you know, I certainly didn't get to experience like, you know, that now very much experienced, <laughs> uh, university type show, community yeah. type show <laughs> till much, till much later. But like, was there one that you kind of felt like, cause you're going to both. So, so early, you know, back to back, was there one you felt more kind of at home at? Uh, you know, I don't really remember at the time so much. I, yeah. I went both with the same friend who I ended up being and later being in Brutus A to Taco with. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when I look back in retrospect, he was sort of, he was not very nice to me. Um, so I don't have particularly fond memories of him. Um, oh, you're taking all these I, awesome I, shows too. He didn't take me. We just went together. Oh, no, I'm um, saying you're taking him. Oh, oh, yeah. Or, I mean, it was. I mean, it was pretty mutual. I mean, we okay. were both kind of getting into to music at the same time. Okay. Um, uh, he actually got me into to, to Bauhaus. Um, his he had older brothers and sisters, and they were into 4AD uh, before 4AD got to be a lame label um, when it was still a cool label. Um, uh, so he, he got me into all, all that kind of stuff a little bit after that. So even though he was a dick to me, I do I do own that. Um, but I don't think we really went to a bunch of shows after that. We started, he and I started playing like parties together. I guess that counts as a show. Mm-hmm. Um, if, yeah, I, uh, count it. I, I think I, I think, okay. I think I, I think I'm wrong then. Uh, so I, the first show that I ever played was not with Brutus Ada Taco. Uh, that was the first show that wasn't a party that I played. Um, each, I think in ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th grade, uh, this band that I played in with this guy uh, was called the Number One Fish Pointers. Uh, we each played the same girls' party, Sarah Bullock's birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> so ninth grade, we played Sarah Bullock's birthday party, the Number One Fish Pointers. Uh, <laughs> not long after having gone to this David Bowie and uh, Pato Bonton uh, diptych. Informative diptych. <laughs> so yeah, was was the uh, I guess was the the vibe of this band halfway between David Bowie and the uh, the reggae show? Ah, uh, no, I mean mostly tried to play like what the fuck did we do? It was kind of like 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 Clash covers. Oh, um, but. We we were really like, and then and then Louie Louie and Wild Thing, which are the same song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we four or five songs or something. Um, but for the Clash songs, we never. I do recall that we never learned all of a song. We would just learn like the verse and then play the verse over and over again a bunch of times and then try to look at each other to try to stop at the same time. Um, but we did a couple years later and, and this is this is one of the few not shushu songs that I know how to play. We did learn the Bauhaus version of Ziggy Stardust later realizing it was actually a, a David Bowie song. Oh, at that um, time you thought it was just the Bauhaus song? Yeah, we just thought it was a Bauhaus awesome. song. And Telegram Sam as well, not realizing it was a T-Rex song. We used to play that, too. <laughs> um, or try to play that. D- the Diggy Sardis we actually learned 
burned all the way through by some fucking miracle. I don't know how. And oddly, I still remember it. Um, but Telegram Sam, we just we just learned like the verse, and we just play that a bunch. But that that kind of came later. Like ninth grade, I think, was the clash, and eleventh grade, we started getting more into like doing really bad Bauhaus covers. Sorry, I'm rambling about this, but no, <laughs> this is not rambling. Believe me, this is the bread and butter of this show. This is what this show is built grade. on. I've got a million questions to ask you about this band, so please um, ramble on. Oh man, I okay, I okay, the number one fish pointers. All right, it's on. Um in the tenth or I think this was in the eleventh grade, they there we were playing at Sarah Buller's birthday party again, uh, for the third time. Um and uh we were playing Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus. Oh, awesome. Except we just learned a verse <laughs> and only one verse. Um and then there were some like goth kids in twelfth grade uh, who were there, and we played like the verse, like the one verse. Um, it wasn't even the first verse. I think it's like the third verse or something. <laughs> uh, just over and over and over and over and over again. And then they looked totally disgusted, and then just took our instruments from us, and then played Bill Gosey's Dead all the way through, and then <laughs> walked out the stage. <laughs> Were they a band, or were they just, like, kids that, like... No, 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 They, I think they were just some, like, other older goth dudes who <laughs> thought we were fucking chumps, which we were, total chumps. Um, and, uh, yeah. Would you and guys... then, I think... Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, sorry, go ahead? No, no, please, go ahead. Oh, I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, I was going to say, are, are, uh, would you guys do the same set list every year? Uh, it would expand every year, but we never got rid of songs. So by <laughs> late 11th grade, I think we had like 40 songs and quotes, <laughs> i.e. we knew all of Ziggy Stardust and then knew like 30 verses to a bunch of other <laughs> mostly Bauhaus songs. And then we wrote a few originals. Um, and the originals were, in retrospect, pretty weird kind of art songs almost um we made a tape that i gave to our philosophy teacher who was kind of younger and cool yeah and he gave us uh like a this andy summers and robert fripp do a record called i advanced masked which we were kind of doing stuff sort of in like weirdo instrumental kind of stuff and he gave us some like a brian Eno record too so I think it might have, I don't really remember it, but I think it might have been in that, I mean, infinitely less cool and less developed, but in that vein of, uh, you know, kind of like far out art, rocky kind of instrumentals or something like that. And then we would, you know, do all like the heck house covers. It sounds super awesome too, because I bet you guys were like, you know, raw and primitive sounding, which is like... I'm real curious is, is if it was any good. I mean, describing it, I am thinking, oh, yeah, I was a much cooler 15-year-old or 17-year-old than I ever felt like. But I have a feeling it probably sucked. <laughs> um, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I was going to say it's still definitely better than, you know, the highlight of You're in Trouble, which was a bro him cover. So you're already <laughs> way higher than my band did. So. <laughs> Um, it's not so bad, man. Yeah, no, I know. It's like uh, it's definitely the anthem of a generation, <laughs> which I am a part of <laughs> forever, whether I like it or not. Um, 
So where so after this band kind of runs its course, how do you kind of to you you play in the other band next, right? Like your first show that you ever played at a venue. Yeah, yeah, that band which was just lasted like a few months in 12th grade and then kind of at that point I started uh get, like getting more into playing and would you know start practicing a lot. Um and uh and let's see. And then I think I moved out of my parents' house right after high school, and um, just started like just answering ads in uh, like the back of the recycler or something like that, which was in LA, which was sort of like a perversion of Craigslist. Um, and this guy, <laughs> this is going to sound way cooler than it was, but this guy had an ad. That said, he was looking for. I played just kind of mostly played bass at this time. That was kind of my main. Looking for a band that would sound like Nine Inch Nails and and like free jazz era John Coltrane, and I thought, oh, okay, this could be pretty fucking cool. Yeah. So, although it was not this, okay. it was not this in any way. <laughs> um, he, <laughs> this dude's name was Barry Schneider. He was probably 15 years older than me, and he ran this rehearsal studio in the Valley in L.A., um, which was just – it was kind of like a high-end rehearsal studio that was just one big room. And some, like, really huge bands rehearsed there, like Missing Persons practiced there, and uh, fucking who else? God, I can't remember who. But bands like that big yeah, you know, would, would practice there. Uh, he ran this rehearsal studio, and it was it – was, but he was like – uh, that like post hair metal dude. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, like just to give you a visual, you know, uh, <laughs> of what I mean when I say a fat post hair metal dude, like there was nothing nine snails and free jazz, John Coltrane about this guy. <laughs> Except uh, I know, can picture I, that guy pitching you know, that band. You know, with the way you're describing this guy and looking, yeah, I don't. It like doesn't that. really make any sense. Yeah, because he he had he was pals with through the studio with a bunch of this is fucking out. I haven't thought about this in so long. With a bunch of like really good but not super cool like session <laughs> drummers and, and like and like stadium tour drummers. Like he was pals with like Greg Bissonette, who played with like David Lee Roth and Steve Vai. <laughs> Uh, and Don Perry, who played with Jeffrey Tull, <laughs> and uh, the John LaPonte drummer, I can't remember his name, um, and uh, fuck, and the guy who played drums in the Knack, and they had this thing called the Drum Club, <laughs> and they would do shit together at this studio with Barry, and I think they, I mean, Barry could play the drums, he was pretty good, but he wasn't good like these guys, but I think that he... They hung out with him because I think he got them drugs or something like that. Like I could never really figure out why the fuck all these dudes hung out with Barry. But I think he was like a trust fund guy because he had a super nice house. Yeah. And he had the studio and he didn't seem to have any other jobs. But he had like 50 drum sets. <laughs> and later I ended up living in literally a tool shed in Barry's backyard in Sherman Oaks that had no plumbing. And it was infested with rats. Um. And that's how, and then I got kind of got to know all the drum club dudes, and I would periodically jam with them. 
<laughs> Barry's rehearsal studio. <laughs> so would it be like like five Ripper session drummers, like sitting? In I never circle? played with all of them at once. Like okay. they would hang out. Okay. I kind of like didn't have other shit to do. Like I had kind of, I wasn't going to college. I was kind of like working part time, like not really knowing what the fuck to do with my life, practicing bass a lot. Uh, and Barry kind of had me working at the rehearsal studio, sort of, in order to like reduce my rent in the tool shed slightly <laughs> or something. Or maybe I didn't do Maybe I did it for nothing. And he just took advantage of me. I can't really remember. But periodically, like one of these dudes would show up and there was drum sets there and I would, you know, be practicing whatever bullshit slap bass stuff I was trying to do. <laughs> and they would just like sit down and we would play. They were all really, Barry was a dick to me, but all these other dudes were super nice to me. Um, you know, and like looking back, I, you know, like jammed for an hour with Don Perry. <laughs> it was really funny to think about. <laughs> when you, when you started was, describing the drum club, you painted such a vivid picture of Barry in a way that post hair metal guy could never. Oh do. yeah. The fact that he oh, was, yeah. the, he, he, he was, yeah, he was a special guy. Um, <laughs> oh shit. The band, he and I had a band. I forgot about this. They played one show at the rehearsal studio that was a party. This band was fucking called Techno Primal. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a name. <laughs> and That's Barry awesome. played, he, yeah, he played like an electronic drum kit. <laughs> and I played, uh, I think I played, I had still was playing that fretless Ibanez bass, but I strung it up a fifth. So it was, uh, a D G C I think, you know, and then I had a five string Schecter bass that I also, <laughs> instead of going down, went up so I could play a bunch of chords, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it was through this, uh, oh, and then that we had this guitar player. I can't remember his name. He was a pretty nice guy, but he was really into Christian rock and tried to get me to play in his Christian rock band, um, <laughs> which I, wasn't into doing um uh and he just we did play that one show i can't remember his name he had an amazing fucking mullet though <laughs> an incredible mullet uh but he was a cool guitar player he played kind of like gang of four style i don't know what his christian rock band was like a gang of four christian rock band or something i've like i've <laughs> i've actually picked up some like random christian rock punk records like a one weird oh compilation. fascinating and yeah, and I've, I've got two other records. One's by this band called U.S. Kids that I guess is like the Ramones of Christian punk from what I've been able to read up on them on the internet. <laughs> um, and they are they are ripping. They're all like... There's oh, one, cool. Well, good for them. There's this one band on this compilation that sounds like kind of like Christ, like a Christian screeching weasel, but from like 82. <laughs> it's really... It's, That's funny. Yeah, like it's... it's uh, it's definitely the lyrics. The lyrics take a while to get used to, but but the uh, the music's ripping. The music's there. Well, so that's funny. Um, did that? Um, I guess this band never <laughs> recorded, right? Like it was just the one show. No, no, no. I mean, I think uh, no. I mean, we just played this one show. Actually, at the show because we only knew five songs, we just played this, this set twice. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was through Barry that I met Geza X. Um, I guess, I don't know how they knew each other. I think Geza was looking for a drummer or something. I don't and, know if uh, anything, but maybe drugs in... Maybe drugs also, actually, maybe drugs. Maybe drugs. Um, <laughs> maybe drugs. Uh, 
But, uh, yeah, I think Gaza had this tape. Oh, the fucking Gaza X band had another epic name. Live Nude Psychics. <laughs> also st- stunning. A stunning name. Um, and uh, actually, I made a sticker for Live Nude Psychics. <laughs> That's and I misspelled psychics. <laughs> But I still have this sticker. It's on the inside of a plastic Lego box, which I use to transport hard drives from, you know, from to to and back from various recording sessions. But the sticker for Latin Psychics is is in there. Uh, could I um, impose upon you at some point to send me a photo of the sticker? Just so oh I, yeah yeah, yeah. I'll, I would, uh, I'll I'll do I'll do it when we're done. Oh, I, I would exactly love that. Where Thank you so much. I'm, yeah uh, and yeah so. Uh, yeah. So through, yeah. So then I started playing with those uh, those other those other dudes we talked about like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> so were you like? <laughs> and they Kenny Kenny Lyon who played with uh, Geza, he played with a bunch of cool people. Uh, um, he told me to not fucking string my five string bass high, and made me put a low B on it. And he also quit playing so fucking much. Um, as did David Kendrick from uh, Devo, who told me not to play so much. And I gave them some demo tapes, which were just sort of like John Zorny, like, like almost like cut and paste, sort of, you know, just like this part goes to this part, that part goes to this part. This, you know, they have no function. Yeah. Um, not really realizing. I thought that I was writing like, pop songs, but I had kind of, I was trying to write pop songs. It wasn't like I was trying to do that. I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And then David Kendrick from Devo said, the organ sound is interesting, but this is not really a song. <laughs> um, so uh, they kind of like reined, reined my worst inclinations in. I think had I not met those guys, I probably would be playing in, at like the Baked Potato and the Fusion Band or something right now. <laughs> so they really saved me from a fairly miserable fate. Well, like it definitely, uh, you know, like talk about a, I can't think of a cooler group of musicians to kind of get schooled by. Too like yeah 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 I, I wish that I at the time I asked more questions um, I you know I was real young and and you know I mean I I appreciated the stuff that they told me it wasn't like you know I like blew off the stuff but I didn't know how like what a big fuck deal these guys were and then the other the other women in the band yeah like um, a, I don't think anyone in your age would would necessarily yeah. maybe now they do but you know certainly not then. Yeah, right. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, with uh, with uh, Kenny Lyon, um, he, he was in No Effects, right? Or he played in No Effects for a second. He had an association with them. Um, I can't remember what it was. Uh, I knew he would periodically borrow their amps because <laughs> he would show up to her No Effects amps. Um, I don't know that he played with. I don't know. I really don't know. He might have. I think he's like. I, think I know he was pals with Al Jefe, but I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, because I think Al Jefe was. He also might have produced a, them or something, or yeah, I think so. Because Al Jefe was also like a studio guy too, I believe. Yeah, it could. It could have been. It could have been through that that kind of stuff. Um, um but I, I didn't really know those cats. So, what was Josie Cotton like? She was fucking cool. That's she was awesome. super cool. That's awesome. Uh, they were they were all. I mean, I keep, I know I keep saying this, but I don't know why they were so patient and nice with me. But they were all really sweet to me all the time. Um, I think she had um, come from money because she had this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful house in the Hollywood Hills, 
um, with a and then Geza and she. I think she and Geza were a couple. Um, and Geza had a kind of was building like a studio in there, or they had some romantic connection at some point. Uh, and she sang in this band, and you know her voice was amazing. It yeah, was super on, and she could sing. She could sing backwards, like flawlessly, which was really weird. <laughs> That's and she could sing all of this Arab. Yeah, it was really fascinating. She could both talk and sing backwards, <laughs> and she could sing all this really super complicated Arabic music as well. Um, uh, yeah, and it was just it was just a love, lovely person. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I haven't, you know, talked to her since I was you know twenty or something. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, she she was great. Really, really, really cool person. How very, very just generous with her space and stuff. Well, yeah, do they just, like, approach you at, at a show, like Giza, Giza approached you? But No, like- no, no. Oh, yeah, so he was, so he was. I think, talking to Barry, the famous Barry Schneider. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the reoccurring character. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and he, like, came to Barry's studio, and I was there. And Giza was trying to put a band together. Um and, uh, you know, I might, maybe I was wearing something weird or something. Uh, he just asked me, you know, I think Barry told him I played bass and I can't remember if I played with him. Oh I, yeah. Gaza showed up with a really cool black beauty, Les Paul to Barry studio and played some songs and I kind of jammed along with him. Um, and then he called me like months later, um, to come to a rehearsal and, and, uh, with him and David Kendrick and uh, and Kenny Lyon, and I, and then later Rossler from the Screamers, and then Josie Cotton was in this band all at the same time for a little bit. It's, um, oh, so it's so yeah, amazing, some, like, something, something like that. It was it was it was pretty organic. Yeah, yeah, like for him to like just. I like think he just wanted like someone who who was like a kid, you know, just for energy or looks or something. Yeah, it's, but it's still like it's so funny because it's like basically a super group of all these people right. from like first wave punk, and then and, me, this, and this kid, yeah, this like complete shithead who <laughs> knows nothing from the valley and has done nothing. Um, yeah, it was it was funny. Did you did it like you know outside of the fact that these are you know uh, people that obviously I can't seem to get past how famous they are to me, but uh, but like just the fact that you were in this band that was going for you know, major label deals at this point as, as a young person, was that something that impressed you at, or was that also just kind of like lost on you at the age of 20? It was, well, it was interesting because my dad and my uncle yeah. had been pretty famous musicians. Um, so it didn't seem, I mean, I was excited, real excited about it, but it didn't seem like an insane impossibility mm-hmm. or it's not like I had no exposure to that world in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's a completely I different perspective. I was pretty, it was a very chaotic time for me. Yeah. So I, I'm not totally sure, but it, it wasn't, you know, I had kind of been around all that stuff a little bit my whole life. So at that point or then, um, so, uh, you know, so it wasn't my, I was excited, but it wasn't like my mind was completely melted by the experience. And, and you, you kind of said you quit the band at a certain point. How did it, you know, fall apart? Um, oh, I was just like living like my, basically my, I was real young and my childhood was kind of a drag. 
So I didn't, you know, I was undeveloped emotionally and pretty immature in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and uh, I, you know, I had moved out and I was lit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is what fucking happened is I was living in this t- in the tool shed <laughs> in Barry Schneider's backyard <laughs> and uh, like working like. 15 hours a week at a preschool making almost no money and then like taking one class community college and then playing in the life needs psychics. That was kind of what I was doing. Um, and Barry, who was always saying crazy shit to me uh, and then not following through said, Hey, I'm going to tear the garden shed down. you got a month to get out. And I was like, okay, well tell me exactly when he said, I don't know. And then like months went by and nothing happened. So I assumed it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So I'm in the garden shed one day, and all of a sudden, I hear this insane fucking banging coming from the outside. And I open the door, and there's like a fucking demolition crew outside <laughs> having no idea that I'm in there. Oh and they, they had like bashed down like half the wall, and I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ, what the fuck do I do now? And I say to Barry, what are you doing, you maniac? And he's like, I told you I was going to tear it down, but, you know, like, as I said, like it was months ago. Yeah. Um, so I put, you know, my meager belongings into the back of my, uh, Peugeot station wagon and I drove to my little sister's house, which was like a, like a guest house in someone's yard. Also, apparently we both like living in yards and I slept on her couch for about two weeks and she was just like, fuck you. You're fucking my life up. You have to move back in with mom and dad. And my parents had been separated for a few years, but had recently gotten back together in the Bay area. Um, and I kind of just. I just had to move back in with my parents basically (laughs) in the Bay area. Um, and I was real embarrassed by this and I lied to everyone alive in psychics and told them that I had gotten into Stanford (laughs) and that I was going to go to college. But, but this was like, I don't know, this was in like, you know, February or something. (laughs) And one of the people in the band said, well, doesn't school start in September? And it's like, Oh, I'm in some special program. You know, and they, I mean, they knew that I was full of shit. Um, but they were, you know, they didn't call me on it. And they even had like threw me like a going away party and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I was just, you know, I just didn't, just didn't have my shit together basically. Um, and I stayed in touch with them a little bit for like a year. And then I think they got just, you know, they very politely and very slowly started, you know, getting on with their lives and got a new bass player and stuff like that. And then I, I think after that in the Bay area, I kind of eventually tried to get my life together and went to college for a little bit. And then, started putting my own bands together did that band play live did live new psychics play shows oh sorry one more time did live new psychics play shows oh yeah 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 we played a bunch of shows um just just in la but uh there was a couple months where we would play a show like every weekend i think because geza had a ton of punk connections you know from those days he kind of knew everybody Mm -hmm. um so yeah, we played at a lot of places uh, around. Yeah, a lot. It was cool for me. You know, I mean, I had never played shows outside of parties and that one record store thing. So, um, oh shit! <laughs> one day at a live nude psychic show at this place called Raji's, which I think was on Sunset, but I can't remember. Um, fucking uh, Gigi Allen came into the club, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And uh, he got, I had, for some reason, I didn't know a bunch of shit at that time, but for some reason I knew who he was. And he had a bunch of 
these murder junkie kids with him who scared the shit out of me. Um, and he, and it was, it was a smaller lineup. It was, it was just like a three piece. It was just Gaza, David Kendrick, the drummer and me playing that show. I'm not sure why. Um, but Gigi Allen jumps on stage and Gaza and David both knew who he was too. And we're not going to fucking say anything. Yeah. And there was oddly kind of a lot of people there, if I remember correctly. And Gigi Allen just says, play a blues. So we all kind of like look at each other and just start playing this like shitty, like punky blues. And Gigi Allen starts singing and then he says, play another blues. And we played like three songs and the entire time I see the bouncers kind of slowly and carefully sneaking their way through the crowd. Like somebody must have told them what was going on and like who Gigi Allen was or something that he was news. Um, kind of slowly snaking their way through the crowd. And Gigi Allen is, you know, high out of his fucking mind, obviously. <laughs> and they quietly come into the front of the stage. And I see one of them open the back door. And then, like, four guys grab him, you know, from, like, head to toe, like uh, like he was, like, a carpet. And just, like, jam him out the back door and, like, th- like throw him out. And they grab all the kids with him and, like, throw him out the back of the door. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one notable live nude psychic show. <laughs> um, and we played we played at Al's Bar a bunch, which is now a super yuppified pie store in the quote unquote arts district of Los Angeles, but it used to be in a really gnarly neighborhood. Um, and uh, we played the Coconut Teaser, which was mostly like a hair metal club. Uh, who are the Who are the bands you guys were playing with at the time? Like, what was the scene kind of like in LA? Just like bullshit, like nothing cool. I mean, just like you know, I mean, Live New Psychics didn't have like a like a thing i think yeah. people were there because the other people who were in the bands um but like nobody interesting i mean just like whatever bullshit la bands are around the time um i for some reason i remember this one called black angel death song um that they did sound just like the fucking song black angel death song and they just played that over and over and over <laughs> again um uh and then What is it like celebrity like nothing skin else. Play? I think we played with Thelonious Monster or something. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Who had a little thing. Yeah. Um yeah, but that's yeah. N- nothing nothing cool though. So so I guess like yeah, so you move back to the bay and you go back to college. By this point, you know, <clears throat> you're are you already kind of like aware of like, you know, DIY stuff? Is this are you aware that there's like this sort of other scene that exists separate from what that, yeah, that kind of, that happened when I moved to the Bay Area. I, I knew a little bit about it when I was uh, a kid in the Valley. There was this one industrial club that I saw Babyland play at and almost got hit in the face with a wrench Whoa. Um, that flew off the stage. Yeah, I saw it slowly turning towards my head, and I remember clearly, you know, they were just using it to drum with, and I think they just dropped it or something, and it flew in the air. But I saw it slowly turning towards my face, and this, like, message from God said, Jamie, you must duck right now. So luckily I ducked, or otherwise it probably, you know, would have destroyed my face. You had some um, wild show-going experiences early on, like really crazy, Yeah, but I mean, the funny thing was is they were, I mean, like I didn't go to, sh- I mean, other than like going to shows at Bebop Records, which I did pretty religiously, like I didn't go to like a bunch of other punk shows. It wasn't like a thing that I did all the time. Yeah. Um, I think I just got, I just got real lucky a bunch. And saw some kind of cool stuff. Um, and I guess it's also because you didn't uh, get yeah, trapped by then, a scene. Uh, 
Sorry, I, I guess like also because you didn't get, well, it's like it's also like you didn't get trapped by a scene. You know, you weren't like stuck in like oh, yeah, I'm this type of kid. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I mean, I think I would have liked it have been, but um, I think I just didn't really like socially. I just really didn't know how to make that work. Mm. Um, uh, little has changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's why we start band. But so. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> so in the Bay Area, uh, oh shit, this is funny. I haven't thought about this in a long time. Um, I, so I moved back in with my parents. They're trying to get their marriage back together. Um, I'm living with at, with them with my little brother, and then not long after, my sister moves back in with them too because the earthquake in Los Angeles destroyed her house. Oh shit. Um, so we're all as adults, you know, or young adults living with together with my parents and my parents are at this point fucking, I mean, they were always nuts, but they were particularly nuts at this point. So it was, uh, it was, I don't know, it was a difficult period, but, uh, behind our house was a community center. And at this community center, there was a show and there was this, uh, punk band called Raggedy Ann playing at the show. And, uh, my dad at the time, was out of the music business, but was working for um, uh, Pro Tools before it was bought by Avid, like in the really early stages of of Pro Tools. Um, So he was working on this. um, He was, you know, he had like a a prototype, like an 8-track prototype of uh, this thing called Session 8, um, which was, I think, early Pro Tools only worked on a Mac, and they were trying to get something that would work on a PC, I don't know why they just didn't call it Pro Tools also, but so he was working on a thing called Session 8. Okay. Um, and like he basically just stole the prototype and had that in the house. And that's <laughs> kind of what I learned to do recording on. But so I saw this punk band <laughs> playing. I know, yet another absurd stroke of luck. Um, so I saw this punk band playing at this community center, and they were really good. They were really young, like maybe... 13 or 14 years old. Um, so uh, I asked them if they, you know, I thought I could get into engineering or something like that. So I asked them if they wanted to come to my house and record. Um, so they came over, and this band actually turned into the Donnas. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah, so this was the, this was, it was all the same people, but this was their band before they became the Donnas. So I guess this was their first recording experience in my parents' living room with their band Raggedy Ann. Uh, they knew some people uh, at KZSU, which was the Stanford radio station, um, and they had like a when this show called Wednesday Night Live, which they just had a live band play on it every week, and they needed engineers. Um, so I um, so I started kind of hanging out at, at KZSU a little bit, um, and like re- recorded a couple of, of bands on that, and then kind of through that got to sort of know like like uh like independent music a little bit more and then i started working at this uh, record store in san jose called streetlight records and that was that was really when i kind of realized there was a lot more to music than you know the major label stuff that i had i mean a lot of which was great but you know i just didn't know fucking anything mm-hmm. about you know not you know although of although excellent but you know mostly like uh you know semi-mainstream music i mean even the 4ad stuff that i was listening to I mean, at the time, that was immensely popular. A lot of, you know, much, much, much smaller bands, you know, that I, that I later got to know, 
you know, like my kind of early, early twenties or whatever. So it was a fairly long arc. (laughs) (laughs) But like, it's that, that Raggedy Ann story is amazing because did that, anything happen to that recording? Uh, I think I made like one cassette of it, which I gave to them. I didn't have a dad machine and they're, they're dead. Allison, fuck, I can't remember her last name, but the guitar player, even, even when she was like 14, she was fucking good. Yeah. Um, her dad was a guitar player, um, and seemed to be annoyed that I only had a cassette to give them. And he said that that they were going to wear it out. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think I had like a, like a three rack space, like one gig drive or something like that. <laughs> um, so like anytime I recorded something, I'd have to like make a cassette of it and then immediately erase it. Erase it. it was, I yeah. didn't, you know, any other way to store it. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. What was their sound um, like then? I, yeah. I mean, maybe they have it. I don't know. Well, Cause like, but it, was, it was cool though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even at, even at the time they were, they were a decent band, had well, good lyrics. They released, well. they released like an early recording when they had changed the name to the Electrocutes and it's a lot more like, yeah, metal. the Electrocutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's a lot more metal sounding or like not metal, but hard rock sounding than the Donna's would be. Was it, yeah. were they kind of the same way at that stage when you were recording them? Raggedy Ann, they were, that was like an Olympia style kind of punk band. Oh, that's um, awesome. Like, like, kind of like, like Huggy Bear, or like, uh, kill, like that kind of vibe. Oh, that's amazing! I got. Uh, I hope they didn't wear out that tape. I hope one day that tape sees yeah. the day. <laughs> that's also my recollection on it. But it was, you know, it was, it was just like kind of unsophisticated in a good way, smart, uh, kind of like proto uh, riot girl kind of lyrics but then also sort of like funny i think they had one song called i want to be a unabomber um which you know which was like right at the moment that all that stuff was going on um and then uh i can't remember what else i remember that one though it's 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 Um, if if half these bands are half as good as your recollection like you know, I gotta hear these bands. Like your old bands and this old <laughs> band. Like this is like. I think all my old bands were probably fucking stupid. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I, think, but I do remember Raggedy Ann being cool. Though. <laughs> you sold me on them, Jamie. You sold me on all of them tonight. I, I gotta hear all these these bands. They sound. It's like, and I think it's like you said. Like it's a long arc that you had, but like what a cool arc, you know? Like it's to, you know, get to kind of you know have all these things that eventually lead you to do what you've done in music. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like these cool touchstones that you kind of stumble upon on this journey that, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it's, it's funny to talk about. Um, (laughs) it's, I don't know. It's fun to, to think about. Um, and kind of, kind of around this time, uh, I, I, I was, you know, like still not really thinking about writing songs so much, but still just wanting to be like, an engineer and then like a session bass player kind of type, even though I was getting more into underground music. Um, so I was playing bass and kind of like anything that I could do. I was playing in a, in a Motown cover band and in a dub band and then just like a regular punk rock band. Um, in one week got kicked out of all three of these bands. Um, <laughs> and then uh, a friend of mine who I, who this who I played in the, um, was the the drummer actually got really good, and um, he ended up 
becoming like a professional musician and still does that. Um, he was he was playing in in, in uh, like touring bands at the time, um, like a couple years after he and I played together. And he he told me after I got kicked out of all these bands, I was like, man, now what the fuck do I do? And he told me to start my own band. So that's when I got into like singing and playing guitar. What was that punk band you were played in that you got kicked out of? Uh, it was called the Concubines. Um, it was uh, actually I'm still friends with all those guys. Um, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, it was sort of like like Lou Reed inspired punk. Okay. Um, not like hardcore. Yeah. Probably more more like 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 uh, kind of I don't know punky glamish sort of I guess. Um, Did you guys record or play shows at I all? Yeah, the we just played like a couple parties, I think. Okay. Um, and uh, the dude who was the singer, he and I had another band together called Bob Barango and the Bad Lady, where he would sing and play guitar, and I just played like floor tom and like a like a folding chair. But he was a good songwriter. He actually he's he's gone on to make like really super bizarro kind of like George Kuchar kind of movies, you know, like the kind of thing where you make a movie every week, and they're just like a horror weirdo inspired kind of surrealistic kind of things. He's, he's a really interesting guy, but he was, he was a singer in both of those bands uh, and, a, and a cool songwriter. So, yeah. <clears throat> so after you get kicked out of these bands, you start writing your own stuff. Um, and, and you, is, yeah, or like I had, what's kind of doing it all along, but like started thinking, action, you yeah, know, um, yeah, but like, actually like, you know, not just kind of for fun, but actually thinking I would like start a band essentially. Yeah. And what, did you form Ibopa? Is that how, Ibopa? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was that first band. Yeah. Did you form that right away, or did you have other stuff before that? Uh, like in, what, that you was were writing the first. Stuff I think I was like, you know, like as a, you know, all along I was writing little stuff or like trying to write little stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think that was the first band. You know, or I would like write one song a year or something like that. Um, and then just like, you know, and then, uh, but I think that, that was the first, uh, I get like formal and where I was like uh, trying to write songs and, you know, in a, in a concerted and way, I think the other, so when I was writing stuff before it was just, sort of, you know, like I wasn't even taking, I wasn't taking it seriously at all. I was like playing bass on all these other people's bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that was the first band where I thought, okay, I will be the singer and I will play guitar and try to write the songs. And how did you kind of come up with the sound for that? Like, obviously, cause you've had such a diverse musical resume up until this point. Like, how'd you kind of settle on what would, you this band to be like? Well, I think that was kind of the problem with that band is that it was really not, it wasn't particularly focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun to play in it live. It was fun to do, um, you know, but it was, uh, yeah, and it was it was it was it was kind of crazily all over the place for, um, and uh, you know other than other than a couple people in that band, you know it was it was like a hobby for most of the dudes or you know they had like regular jobs and stuff, um, and and you know I was getting more and more serious about it. Um, uh, so then that band broke up, and then I was in a 
other band for like a year after that with with the guy and the guy the guy who who uh, I started Shushu with was in Ibopa and in the next band. Um, and then we were kind of getting more and more focused about what we wanted to do and getting more and more serious about playing. And the other people in the other bands, I think, didn't really like the direction that it was going in. And then also, you know, had normal lives and didn't want a shitty house uh, in order to be able to play music. And um, so, yes. Uh, so I think I, I, I Boba started maybe. And then I think within over the course of five years, I was in that other band, Tenorless Word Jar, and then Shushu started, I think, about five years. No, that's not quite true. Oh, no, that took seven years. I'm totally wrong. I guess I both was around for way longer than I remember. Shit. Yeah, because you guys were um, almost signed to a major label, right? To Electra or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, this uh, subsidiary of Electra called Spongebath, um, uh, which was run out of somewhere in Tennessee. Um, yeah, you know, I think I might have kind of messed up this timeline a little bit. Um, I think that is when I was working at that record store is when all that was happening, or around that time. Okay. Um, and then I think that that deal didn't actually, nothing ever happened. Um, like we didn't record or do anything, we just did, did demos at my house. Um, and then they just they just sort of disappeared, or I'm not even... I don't even really remember what happened or it was a, it was a fairly amorphous disintegration. And, um, yeah. Like it was like, a, I guess like a weird time once again for, you know, the music industry post. Yeah. 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 That's like a bunch of, a bunch of small, I think it was, you know, it was kind of like, uh, they were signing a bunch of crazy shit cause alternative was happening. Yeah. So I think yeah. they had broader ears than they had had in a long time, but you know, they realized that, only a small number of these bands would ever really amount to much. So I, I think they, they gambled on a lot of stuff that was pretty far out. Um, and then, you know, the vast majority of that stuff didn't work. And then it just sort of reverted back to the kind of more closed system that it had been before, you know, and then, uh, you know, a ton of the sort of sub labels all fell apart when, you know, like half of the major labels fell apart. Yeah. Did Which you... I'm, you know, in retrospect at the time I was very disappointed, but in retrospect, I'm enormously happy that, I didn't end up, you know, in that band with those people making probably one record that no one would have bought and then having to, you know, just basically shelve the rest of my musical life due to like some shitty contract or something. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. Especially at that time period, the type of contracts people were getting locked into. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we would have gotten horrendously fucked. Um, did you guys tour in that band? Like, is that how you kind of got the attention of a Tennessee label? I mean, that was, I mean, it was like a seven piece band. And everyone had normal jobs and shit like that. So, like, we played in L.A. This We all lived in, around San Jose. Um, I think we played in L.A. once or twice. And then we played in Portland once and Seattle once. Um, I think outside of, outside of San Jose, I think we might have, you know, played, like, four shows or something. Um, and Tenemus Redger played a little bit more out of town. But... You know, not much. Maybe you know, we played in Phoenix or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Shushu was the first band that I ever played in that actually, like for real touring. Well, Jamie, I want to talk to you all night, but I, I think we can uh, safely call it uh, part one here. And I'd love to invite you back for a part two if it you. Ends ever, there. You know, I. That's the end. Well, no, I would love to you to come back for a part two at some point if you'd be involved. 
or at all. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was delightful and hilarious talking to you. I think I said all the funny stuff. Everything that happened with Shushu is was pretty standard and and sort of you know, um, it's 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 a much less interesting story. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's where you get obviously, you know, uh, you know, it's not uh, ten, it's not ten in the swear jar that people are talking about today. You know, like I think Shushu is definitely, you know, like your journey in that band and and that project and how you kind of find this sound that ends up influencing so many people. You know, like so many musicians, and I think that's that's perfect for a part two. <laughs> well, it was it was a delight to uh rant and you're extraordinarily patient thanks <laughs> no i tell you uh jamie this is this is one of my favorites you know this is you hit a lot oh, of thanks man a lot of uh of a lot of my favorite topics in this episode you know and i think uh your journey is truly one of the more unique ones that i've had on the show so thank you so much for coming on the show well thanks man yeah let's let's definitely talk again i hope you're doing good Thank you, Jamie, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Jamie's going to be back for many more parts because, my gosh, did I enjoy talking to him. That was awesome. Anytime that I can have a connection between the Donnas and the Screamers and Shushu, which connects it to Cold Cave, which connects it to American Nightmare, which connects it to, oh, my gosh, all other manner of bands, so... A lot of connections made today on the show for everyone. A lot of connections. I hope you at home are working on that spreadsheet diagram as I am right now, uh, connecting all these bands because, woo, woo. Anyway, enough about my personal life. On to next week's show. Next week on the show, the hits keep on coming. And I mean next week, literal physical hits keep on coming because next week on the show, Brody King You probably know him as the lead singer of God's Hate. If not, then you probably know him as a wrestler that's blowing up all manner of the indie scene right now and kind of taking the world by storm. Going to be a big star, big star in wrestling. And that's not just me saying that. That's a lot of people in wrestling saying that right now. And he's also uh, an incredible vocalist in a super heavy hardcore band. But he's one of those rare people that, unlike, you know, so many people that get caught in genre, he's someone that knows a lot about all types of punk and hardcore. It's a fun episode. So that is next week on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Once again, thank you, everyone, to the fine folks at Vans for making this show possible. Thank you to Tristan Abraham, show producer. Find us at turnedoutapunk at gmail.com. And that's it. Go out there and make your own culture. This thing we're just going to keep on trugging along with, and uh, hopefully you enjoy the ride. Thank you, everyone, for listening. See you next week. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.